and welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, where we explore pervasive and emerging technologies and their influence and impact on society. In this series, we upload direct to you information, opinions, and insights from thought leaders, experts, and creatives from Austin and beyond. They'll share their perspectives through conversations, interviews, debates, discussion, and more. I'm Jay. I'm John. And I'm Barbary. And we co-produce the Upload for the Austin Forum on Technology and Society. I'm Jay Boisseau, and I'm pleased to be here with my co-host, Barbary Brunner. Hi, Jay. Great to be here. And we are very pleased today to have two guests on the Austin Forum Upload, Byron Reese and Craig Wheeler. So thank you guys for joining us. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, okay, I'm Craig Wheeler. I'm a professor of astronomy. I was Jay's graduate advisor years ago when we were doing astronomy. When we were I, young. I, uh, I, I started teaching five years ago a course on the future of humanity. So I've been doing a lot of thinking and reading on the topic and uh, realized the Austin Forum was there and I could maybe get involved in that. And so it's, uh, it's sort of an extracurricular thing for me, but something I'm very passionate about. And it's been great seeing you at our, at our events lately. It's been a pleasure. And I'm Byron Reese. I, by day, I run a technology company called GigaOM, which is a technology research company. And I write books about uh, the future, about artificial intelligence and robots. And I host a podcast about artificial intelligence. Well, I loved your book. And we actually well, talked you. to you about it last season on the Austin Forum Upload. And very pleased to have both of you here. Today's topic for our listeners is the uh, tech and the future of humanity. So that is a very broad topic. We will undoubtedly come back to this topic. In fact, we hope to have you guys join us periodically in the future, and we'll probably end up calling this part one. And I hope there are many parts to follow. But with that, uh, let's just jump into it. And Byron, uh, you wrote a, a great book. It was my favorite read of last year wow. on AI and robotics. And in fact, I even loved your historical context. I learned lots of things like huh. that cities are about 5,000 years old and how yeah. long, how old fire and language are as technologies and whatnot. So you gave a great backward look to set the stage for where we are now. Why don't, why don't you two just first share what is your most exciting area of technology development right now, the one you're most excited about the near-term prospects for? Well, I, I guess in getting in this future humanities class I taught, it was a combination of the AI and the robotics and what's going on on the biology side. And the fact that both of those are going to be charging forward at exponential rates going forward. So I have a metaphor for all of this. And it as we've been strapped into a, a Formula One racer and the accelerator has been wired to the floor and off we go. And the only trick is steering. So we need to learn how to steer this thing. Except it's also foggy out there. We can't see very clearly. But here we are. We're in a Formula One. It's taken off at exponential rates, and we need to guide it. I love that analogy. I, I sometimes remind people that uh, technology increases exponentially in capability, and we still have 24 hours in a day and the same brains every day to try to process information that's getting increasingly bigger, increasingly more complex, mm -hmm. and so on. It's a, yep. I, so, so I, I love the race I, I, I have an analogy for that, too, and I was going to try this on, on Byron at some point. You talk about some of this exponential thing. But, but my hypothesis has come out of this class is the rate at which we accumulate knowledge is proportional to the amount of knowledge we already have. And dx dt proportional to x is an exponential growth. And I, I think qualitatively, that's why we're on an exponential growth of all of this. And then you're exactly right. People think linearly, and, and we're coping with this exponential growth. So. 
You're the first person ever to bring a differential into the podcast series. Thank you very much for that. Was for not that. an action. We just lost half I am our an It's Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Jay nodded his head. He knew what I meant. Well, okay. So let me let me let me ask a question that will bring some listeners back in, <laughs> which oh, is I've been which is no with this. You know, like Rick Ritzwell has been talking about the singularity for uh, you yeah. know I don't know yeah. for yeah. half a century now, and. Um, and every day there is somebody who has some sort of scare fantasy out of a 1950s movie about the robots and AI taking over and, and losing jobs to that. So what's the reality of the future um, when it comes to robots, when it comes to AI, when it comes to this exponential learning, overtaking sort of human's own capabilities to wrap our arms around it all? Well, uh... I'm not a singularian. I don't believe. Uh, I don't believe in the singularity. I don't. I don't think it's a terribly useful concept. And I, I, I think that technology is this, you know, trick we learned that multiplies our productivity. You know, you can you can hear more people can hear us because we're using technology than if we weren't, and that increases human productivity. And that is the reason we have progress at all. I think, and and it's always a good thing because if you don't think it's a good thing you should you know advocate people be required to work with one arm tied behind their back because then you would have a lot more jobs you would need twice as many people to do anything but productivity would fall and wages would fall and that would be bad and so i think technology is just like giving everybody a third arm so the thing i'm most excited about is artificial intelligence because the internet if you think about it all we did with the internet was we connected computers together like there's no smarts to it we just said hey what if these things all could communicate with the common protocol and you got uber etsy ebay google amazon a million new companies 25 trillion dollars in wealth you transform society imagine imagine if you built a technology that actually made people smarter like just that will dwarf the simple let's connect computers together what if everybody went to bed tonight and woke up with 15 extra IQ points tomorrow, everybody on the planet. And and that, I think, we can't even conceive of what that's going to be. And so that's what I'm excited about. And that's what I think the reality, I believe it is impossible for technology to destroy jobs at a rate faster than it creates them, like literally, mathematically impossible. Because I believe there's an infinite number of jobs. Jobs can instantly be created as the minute you take something, like a lump of clay, and you add technology and labor to it and you make it worth more and that is a wage whatever you can make it worth more and because technology makes you more productive technology always increases wages so i don't think that it's possible for it for us to have systemic unemployment from technology like i literally don't think it's possible so i I read your section in your book about that i'm listening to what you're saying and here's the one concern i have about that i agree that technology always creates opportunities. And I love your point. There's an infinite number of possible jobs. So so I tend to agree that where technology often destroys jobs, specific jobs, it creates as many or more. Obviously, our unemployment is doing pretty good right now in the advances of technology. So I guess my one concern is this technology, as it continues to change exponentially, which means the, the amount, the absolute amount of change today is greater than the absolute amount yesterday. And the absolute amount of change tomorrow is greater than today. But we have these same minds and these same timescales. Is the rate of job destruction and creation 
going to outpace people's ability to retrain well, such that we always have the potential for jobs, right. but we have increasing shortages of talent for jobs or trained skills right. for jobs while other people are suffering. I don't... You just put, the, you put the AI in your head that you, you become <laughs> a superhuman and, you, and then you, you to keep up with it. I don't think that's possible. And the reason is, is people say this a lot. They say, look, technology is great at creating great new high-tech, high-pay jobs like, like a geneticist. And what it does, unfortunately, is it destroys these jobs, low pay, low skill, like order taker at a fast food place. And then what people say is, do you really think that order taker can become a geneticist? Are they going to have the skills to do this new job of tomorrow? And that isn't what happens at all, though. What happens is a college biology professor becomes a geneticist, and then a high school biology teacher gets the college job, and then the substitute teacher gets hired on full-time at the high school, all the way down the line. So the question isn't, can the people who are displaced do the new jobs. The question is, can everybody do a job a little harder than the job they have today? And if the answer to that is yes, which I emphatically believe it is, that's 250 years of economic history in this country. Technologies always destroy jobs at the bottom, created jobs at the top, and everybody shifts up. And that's why I think the half-life of a job is 50 years. I think in this country, we lose half of the jobs every 50 years. I've worked very hard to figure this number out. And yet we've never had unemployment over 10%, other than the Depression. We've never had unemployment over 10%, not even for a moment. Not even when steam came and displaced all the Teamsters or electricity came or any of these things happened. You can't look at an unemployment line and tell me where those technological changes happen because it's impossible for it to destroy jobs like that. But here's what happens, and then I'll, I'll be quiet because I want to hear what everybody else has to say. I'll say just one more thing, which is if you went back 25 years and said to people, hey, we've got this internet that's coming out, and in 25 years, billions of people are going to use it. What's that going to do to jobs? You would have said, well, the stockbrokers are probably going to lose their jobs and the, um, and the travel agents. And the yellow pages will go out of business and the newspapers won't have circulation. And the post office won't deliver as many letters. And you would have been right about every single thing. But you would have never seen any of the stuff that it created. You would have never seen Etsy and eBay and all of that. And so that's the thing is you can always see what it destroys and you can never see what it creates. And that gives the illusion that you're going to have a net loss. But it never happens. So all that is true, but I think we still, going back to my Formula One analogy, I think we have to steer this thing in some way. So I don't know that you're advocating a complete laissez-faire, let's just let everybody do what they want to do, uh, that, that you have to make judgments about whether some of this technology is good for science, good for, I mean, good for society, good for people. Is some of it not so good? I think there has to be some feedback. I think conversations like this are exactly what one has to have to have an educated society. But an example right now that I'm interested in is San Francisco passing this rule that you can't do facial recognition or the police can't do facial recognition. And it's not a statement that you should never do facial recognition. It's a statement that, wait a minute now, if we start doing this in a blanket sort of way, is, is that healthy? Or do we need to really understand uh, the implications of, of widespread facial recognition before we implement it? So it, it's a little bit just a control on the system is I think what I'm advocating is, is thinking about it, trying to anticipate it. If I quote a quote that you quoted, uh, predicting is really hard, especially when it's about the future. <laughs> and, and that's what we're trying to, to do is to get a handle over that, to know how do we proceed in, a, in an ethical, socially conscious way. And, and I'm not sure that will happen exactly by accident without thinking about it carefully. So 
that's interesting because it seems that we create technologies and then think about regulating them um, after the creation and after something has happened. Pretty universally, and, I think. <laughs> and, and if you think about sort of all industry over all time, it's that industry emerges, it screws things up in some way or another, as well as providing benefits, and then we decide to regulate it. And I think part of what you're talking about, sort of, you know, wrapping our arms around how to steer this, you know, Formula One racing ahead in the fog um, without careening off into a bank of trees and hitting something um, is, is, is an apt one. And, you know, clearly the, the, the obvious, there have been multiple conversations over the last 15 years or so about privacy, about um, rights, um, digital rights. And Europe has done um, a a very rudimentary job of starting to address that with GDPR, but the U.S. seems to be a slow follower on that. Individual cities like San Francisco can do things like outlaw facial recognition um, software being used by the authorities, but how do we begin to create you know, create the appropriate regulations without stepping on innovation? And what does it look, what does the future look like when we do that? So part of the question, are you saying regulations with a big capital R or are you saying regulations with a small R? Because you clearly don't want to have regulations that strangle all of the things that Byron's talking about, but you can't just let it go wide open either, I think, totally laissez-faire. So where's the balance of that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Byron's answer to my question was was interesting in the sense that the rate of job creation will be greater, that every, it's not a question of an unskilled person suddenly getting the high-end job, but everybody moving up. I still have questions about the rate of change and whether some people won't be able to even get to that next level. I, I, I certainly believe it at the macro level, what you said. I do wonder if the rate of change is such that at the micro level for individuals, it will get harder even to move up to that next rung as the rungs are moving faster. But but I don't have an answer for that. And I love the, I love your positivity. The historical data so far bears us bears out that we'll be okay in that regard. But Craig, I like your point that maybe it's not as much an issue of whether people can adapt to the changing nature of jobs as fast as can we steer it as, as fast as we need to. Because again... Same brain, same number of hours in a day, but the implications are much faster. I guess, Byron, what, agriculture has been around for 100,000 years or 10,000 years and technology for, you know, digital technology for a matter of decades. Things are just changing faster. Can intelligent regulation that doesn't stifle innovation and job creation, but does protect, can it happen fast enough with our forms of government and that we have. Well, well they're going to get farther and farther okay. behind. Because now you got to get the politicians in it. <laughs> that, and if yeah. anybody's going to be delayed in this, it's going to be the, I'm afraid, the politicians who... Um, Byron, what do we have historically to go on there that you can use to extrapolate forward? Well, I think the most recent example we have is the internet. You know, it's 25 years old. It has transformed society. And, and you would still say it's largely unregulated. I mean, we've had to take regulations we've already had to govern... Um, existing institutions and kind of put them on the internet, but we haven't kind of wholesale rethought like what what kinds of 
you know, who owns your data? Do you own it? And, and all these privacy protections we're talking about, and can people profile you? And can they then, I mean, all of that, all of that that we're able to do now, we st- we don't have a regulatory framework in, in place. There's no way to do it ahead of time. I mean, let's all agree with that. <laughs> you can't, no, in 1995, you can't say, oh, we need to regulate Facebook. Uh, no, but you can say that in 2019. Yeah, but it, t- it takes a while. It took, no, it takes no, a fair while. enough. I understand. And, uh, and no, so I don't think we're, we are. we're kind of, I will say one specific thing. I think that in Europe, the idea that uh, decisions that artificial intelligence make need to be explainable. If it makes a decision that affects your life, you need to be able to explain why it made that decision. I do think that... Um, is an impediment to innovation because sometimes, you know, if you went to Google and you said, I rank number four for the search Austin swimming pool cleaning and my competitor ranks number three and why are they three and I'm four? Google would say, oh, I don't know. I have no idea. There's no way to know that. And that's the way AI largely is. You, A lot of times it just makes the prediction it makes because you look like the people that do whatever. And sometimes there is no why. And making it that there must be a why, I do think, kind of inhibits the advancing of that technology. That would take some adjusting, though, to the idea that we will never really know why the AI is but doing do you what make, the AI is doing. Do you know why you make the decisions you make? You, oh, you have a narrative. <laughs> you have a rarely. narrative of why, but is that really true? And, and when somebody declines a loan, you know, they say whatever, but you really know why. I don't know that we should hold the AI to a higher standard than we hold people. And people can't explain why they do things. I, I heard a very interesting interview on NPR sometime within the last six months. And it made such an impression. And I didn't remember who was interviewed. But it was either a philosopher or an ethicist who was talking about the idea of whether there is actually free will. Mm-hmm. And his answer was no, there is not. Because basically... You know, if you stack the algorithm of human behavior, of all human behavior Mm -hmm. in a certain way, which includes all circumstances, um, all events, all behaviors, all interactions, that that if you had two people who had exactly the same algorithm Mm -hmm. of life, that they would they they would have exactly the same outcome. Mm -hmm. And I found that very interesting. Now, you know, with with Google, we know why someone ranks number three in the search engine as opposed to number four in the search engine because they've done their search engine optimization well, which means that they have, they have, you know, they have instrumented their website in such a way and done the right things with their traffic and their, their, their branding and messaging mm-hmm. to position themselves that way. But that's very, very simple. You know, this is last week we spoke with someone and talked about data and AI and this notion of whether you should, whether companies, especially where their AI has a critical path impact, um, should those algorithms be transparent? Should they be available for examination? Um, and I think this again goes back to like what sort of the, the big R or the little R of regulation. Like where do we draw the line between needing to big R regulate because people mm-hmm. can't small R or are unwilling small R to regulate themselves. I mean, my take on that is, I mean, I, I, w- I would take issue with you saying we know why one's three and one's four. Because in 50 billion pages, Google says this one's three and this one's four. And tomorrow they may switch and one may be four and one may be three and nothing changed. And it's because they have 800 different factors 
that all play in and it's all this gigantic mess of a web that has all of these factors and everybody doing these things and people social and mentioning these and thousands of things happening every minute that somehow makes that happen. Normally, the way AI works is it's actually a very simple technology. It says, let's take a lot of data about the past. Let's study it and make projections into the future. And that's it. And so all it really says is, based on all of this data in the past, this is what I think is going to happen. But that doesn't mean there's a why behind it. Or think of it this way. If, if, if you took an AI and, and gave it planetary motion, uh, every, what every planet's done for the last thousand years, it can predict where the next eclipse. But it would have no idea why. It doesn't know about gravity or anything like that. It can merely predict this is what's going to happen based on the past. And so there's no why to explain. And so I, I just think it's it's problematic to say when well, you have to explain why it did that. It's like, I don't know that there is a why. Well, there's many sub-branches of AI too, right? Mm -hmm. And so certainly what you said applies completely for something like image recognition, right? Mm -hmm. You train it on a bunch of images of cats. Eventually it comes up with its own rules for what features in all those images were commons to the one labeled cat and what features were not in the ones not labeled cat, but it still doesn't know it's a furry mammal that does X and Y and but Z. But if you asked it what features, it wouldn't understand that question. It wouldn't understand that question. That's it just right. says, this is a but, cat. But there's also rules-based AI where you do uh, training, right? Mm -hmm. So like the, the way that the new version of AlphaGo, AlphaGo mm -hmm. Zero works, mm -hmm. is they give it rules mm -hmm. and they tell it to play itself and develop its own models. And so mm -hmm. there are at least some rules that are applied in that style right. of AI. But then if you say, why did you make that move? Yeah, and it will say, because you puny human, I calculated a various number of things and calculated that was the right thing to do. Right. But by it the does way, know I, what a puny human is. I trashed your world champion, so I must know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. right. So you're all talking about contemporary AI now, but what about when we get into questions that you've written about of whether machines can become conscious? And then do we have to understand what they are? Are they going to be so totally alien we won't know how to relate to them? And we should define Are we that. going to merge with our machines uh -huh. and we'll all be one Right. I like the going from do we have free will to can the computers be conscious? I right. love this juxtaposition. And, this and, is and all have, connected. Yeah. I think we have to decide whether, in fact, computers can, in fact, become you know sentient or conscious. Well, right? it, it all hinges on the fact I think that we whether, should decide that right here amongst yeah. the people. No, no. <laughs> I would say yes. it hinges on the one simple question, which is, are people machines? It's all you have to ask. Right. If people are right. machines, then we can build machines that do what people do, and they'll be conscious. If people are not machines, then uh, we cannot, because you do things that no machine can do. So it boils down to that. And I'll, I'll just say one real quick thing. I, I had this podcast about AI. I've had 100 guests, coincidentally 100 guests. And I ask all 100 that question. Are you a machine mm. or are you not? 95 of them give me the same answer. What would you say they would say? That they're not. That they are. Oh, that they are. Oh, really? Explicitly. Interesting. Now, Very when I put that question on my website. Was it 100 are you scientists a, or 100 regular people? It's AI people. AI oh, people. Okay. people who believe. Even less yeah. regular. <laughs> little, little self, now self I understand but the but you're entirely right. When I put the question on my website, 85% of people say, no, I'm not a machine. That's ridiculous. But the, the people, when I ask that on my show, actually almost get hostile. When I say, how do you know, you're, you know that you're a machine? And they're like, well, you have to appeal to magic. Uh, you get that word over and over to say you're not. If, if you took every atom in your body and you modeled it in a computer, you would have you. And that would be indistinguishable. And that is the assumption. And that's why nobody knows when we're going to make a general intelligence. I hear five to 500 years, this range. <laughs> but if you say, well, how do you know we're going to make it? And it's simply because we're machines. 
And someday we'll build a mechanical you. And then two years later, it'll be twice as good. And two years later, it'll be twice as good. And then someday it won't know what you are. And so that's, we're screwed. That's, that's <laughs> it. If you think you're a machine, it's inevitable. If you're not a machine, it, it's impossible. Well, so no, I, I'll step in just to give a plug to Byron's book, The, the Fourth Age, here, because you do a wonderful job of breaking that topic down and how people think about it and how they how they build up. Ladies uh, and gentlemen, <laughs> Byron is slipping him a five dollar no, bill. It's a it, it's a it's a wonderful uh, an analysis of how people think in that monistic dualistic way and how it builds up that. So that alone, the, the book is worth reading for. So free will. I I know the other part of it is that. Uh, your body tends to make decisions to do things, and then it says, oh, by the way, consciousness, here's what I'm doing. You can measure the latency in that. And so the whole question of free will is... Uh, the great Ben Johnson dicey. said, everything I reason says we don't have it, but everything I experience says we do have it. Mm-hmm. Well, It sure feels like we have but it. But that could be a function of our algorithm. Absolutely. It does Absolutely. feel like we have it. So now let's go back to the subject of the singularity, because you said you were not a singularian. It's belie- It's based on a belief that people are machines. So the minute computers get to a point where they duplicate the ability of the human brain, then they become essentially like us, and we become like them. And we can merge with them because we're machines and they're machines. But if you accept that premise, if, if you don't accept that premise, then the singularity is impossible. Well, but that doesn't preclude machines from getting better and smarter and mm-hmm. faster at this exponential rate. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what happens then? It's uh, calculators still, that have more digits still, on them, but there's still, you know, this, 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 this iPhone doesn't become something better. It's become something qualitatively different when it's a hundred times better and when it's a thousand times better. It's not a different kind of entity at that point. Or... If we're machines, maybe it does. It becomes conscious. It experiences the world. And by the way, for the record, we do not want to make conscious machines because the minute you make conscious machines, uh, you can't have them plunge your toilet anymore. Regulation. <laughs> so how, how do we suppose it is possible? Well, how I don't do we, know. You how don't do even, we avoid you don't even know how, how This is lowercase regulation or capital regulation? How are do we, or not. How do we decide what not to do? How do we decide what yeah. technology to keep in a box? But if you and did, it's not necessarily this one. There are yeah. other ones as well. If you made conscious machines and then you enslaved them and told them what they had to do, you just go back through this entire horrible, horrible period of human history. That let's not do that. Yeah. So you don't want conscious machines, I don't think. And so one way to avoid. There's the only two ways. Exactly. One, 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 one is that it's impossible, and the other way is we somehow collectively as society choose not to have conscious machines. Even though it is possible. Given that we don't know how it is that we're conscious, believing that mm-hmm. that we don't actually, it's the last great scientific question people know neither how to ask nor what the answer would look like, we would pro- probably develop them accidentally. If you were to ask if plants are conscious, um, and they share half of our DNA, you would have to say, I don't know. How would I know? And machines are the same way. How would you know if a plant were conscious? You wouldn't. And, and, and machines share none of your DNA, so you would never know. That's the terrible thing. You would have to say that if they ever claimed to be, you would have to give them a benefit. At of least the doubt. Not until they told you, and it was too late. Mm. Well, if they claim to be, they may not be lying. They may be lying, but you have to assume at that point that they are. <laughs> well, I, 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 I kind of think you. that, that plants are a little conscious, and I, uh-huh. I kind of think you three are conscious too. You uh-huh. know? What about the <laughs> the Earth? Do you the Gaia hypothesis? Yeah, you know, I kind of invented the Gaia hypothesis for myself back yeah. in the nineteen seventies, and. 
Uh, what about the, the sun? Yeah. Did the sun be yeah. conscious? I, kids, can kids, galaxies laugh? There's kids, another one. Children all around the world, when they draw an outside scene with the sun, what do they always put on the sun? Yeah, the smiley, smiley face. face. Yeah. Smiley face. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, okay. So let's let's sort of take it back a little bit because you know we're quickly approach, uh, approaching a yeah, conversation about proofs for the existence of God. So, so if if we if, and is God a machine? Um, and I've just lost users that we, we, we didn't lose earlier, I'm sure. Um, but, okay, so... We're, we're so, all just a simulation. We could go into that one. I'm sorry, go yeah, ahead. People are terrified of AIs being corrupted. So... Co- so corrupted. Yes. So, yeah. and used for nefarious purposes. Um, there's a... And I don't know if it's the ni- all the 1950s sci-fi movies that, um, you know, that people grew up on. Um or, or whether it's just this this fear of the supernatural and the 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 capacity of technology to do things that amaze us has become effectively almost supernatural to some people, but there is almost an unreasonable fear at this point in the general population of of the evil of technology and and AIs being used for nefarious purposes. Let me I want to distinguish when you say for nefarious purposes. Do you mean people using AIs for nefarious purposes or the AIs m- m- developing a model that causes them to act in a way that would seem nefarious to us? Cuz the former is absolutely going to happen. Right. Right. There's <laughs> right. there's no doubt about that. Right. So it's, I think it, you're talking about the latter. I'm talking about the latter. Okay. Actually, yeah. I thought you were talking about the former. Well, so, I think uh, you know the former is is a question of regulation, safety, and privacy, and and, and whether people obey regulations and whatnot for their you know own personal interests. Yeah, so right. Bad guys tend not bad to. guys tend not to. So they will use it for nefarious purposes. That Every one I'll, time, I'll say yes. Every time someone says my company won't do evil, you should assume that your company will do evil. Hmm. Yeah. It took them a while to get there. But yeah, well, they're evil. <laughs> you think so? Maybe. Okay. In, in, in a, I think freak. what what happens is we see all these things on in the movies, and there's no conspiracy there. I mean, I I'd pay nine dollars to see Will Smith fight a robot, right? Like, but what happens is people start doing something they call reasoning from fictional evidence, and you see enough of those movies, you go, yeah. That that could happen. I've seen that before. And again and again, you see it and, and you start concluding that that is what will happen. But if you say, um, what what independent evidence do we have that, that these things are going to have a will? or There is none. There frankly is none. It, it makes good movies. It makes good Black Mirror episodes. But unfortunately, there's no show called White Mirror that, that shows you all these positive. But a, a technology doesn't have to have consciousness. Or, or free will or anything mm. like that to act in a way that a human could deem nefarious. If the data that mm-hmm. it accumulates mm-hmm. is such that the model is trained, the Microsoft Tay was a good yes. example, mm-hmm. right? People fed it data mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. turned it in 24 hours, turned a chatbot into a racist, sexist, misogynist chatbot, right? Mm-hmm. And that was an extreme example of letting mm-hmm. something outside the box without testing it against... But well, we now uh, have the Russian <laughs> elections and uh, yeah, all so this polluting it, it, of the... It, it, it's well, certainly that's possible to, to train an AI that it, has yeah. capabilities and then somebody give it data that trains it in such a way that it makes mm-hmm. certain decisions, right? There have even been video game examples of this where they've discovered new rules in video games by doing crazy things like there was, I can't remember the name of the video game, but it found that by killing itself at a certain 
play, mm. a point in the game. It gained a bunch of points and a new life that made up for the one that it had just wasted. And people don't generally think, of, oh, self-sacrifice is in my best interest in this game, right? But but the yeah. AI didn't care. It just was going by the rules. It was trained mm. against the outcomes that it had. And it said, this is the right this is the right path. So without any regard of good or evil or right or wrong. So there is that danger. And I think that is something that, you know, I, I'm not quite to the Elon Musk level in this at all. But I... I I do think it's important that we always ask these questions, and I'm glad that AI community is mostly open, mostly collaborative globally. There's certainly militaries in different countries that are doing different things, but it's generally a global open research community sharing results pretty broadly and having some of these concerns and talking about them at least. I don't I don't know what the answers are going to be because it's changing so I don't fast. know whether it's just because I've been thinking about this for five years now, but my impression is there's much more conversation on these topics than when I started teaching this class much five years yeah. ago. And so that's part of the exponential growth as well. I think that's that's the healthy thing is to have this conversation because there are going to be bad players out there. And so trying to think of what do we do to try to limit that? Uh, there are going to be a lot of people who say, I'm developing this technology because I can. And and that's going to drive it. That's, that's a healthy thing at some level. But there has to be something that puts some brakes on it a little bit and, and yeah. tries to steer the car. And, you know, as much as we talk about this being a transformative and revolutionary capability, Byron alluded to it earlier, it's also an evolutionary incremental advance in technology. We've been advancing our tools and technologies for a long time. And AI is a, another capability that we have developed on top of, you know, previous experience and expertise. And it will be used, like all other tools, a lot for good, for commerce, for entertainment, for this. And, you know, I... I in my day job, I get involved in conversations with certain people that want to use it for certain national security applications and they whatnot. Do. And, yep. you know, and, in and, their and mind, be crazy not to. And what in their mind, what they want to do is right, even though it's all about conflict in some case. And, you know, that just what's right in that depends on which side you're on. Right. So we have to decide from a governmental, a society perspective, what's right in that and a legal mm-hmm. perspective. And there's going to be a lot of questions as the technologies get more and more capable of doing more and more potential destruction. Well, I guess we solved this with nuclear weapons with, you know, mutually assured destruction fears mm-hmm. and whatnot, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure where that general limiter comes in in terms of the AI capabilities for military and uh, cybersecurity applications. Byron, you have any thought on that? Yes. Um, I mean, AI is a particularly trick. And again, to, to, di- to differentiate between a general intelligence, this you know, smart, creative robot that, interestingly, very few people are working on. Probably a dozen entities are working on that. 99% of the money goes into these narrow AIs. I don't know that it is regulatable in that sense for war because AI has no definition. And so you could say, um, you could say a landmine is a kind of AI if, if, if weight of object is greater than 90 pounds explode. And then if somebody said, well, we have a new a landmine that has a camera and it can make sure somebody's wearing a military uniform before it blows up and they weigh over 90 pounds. That's better. And you're like, oh, I guess that is better. And then somebody says, we have one that can see if they're wearing a uniform and sniff to make sure they have gunpowder near them. Like they have a weapon and they weigh more than 90 pounds. Then we blow up and that's better, isn't it? All the way up the line. And at no point do you say, oh my gosh, that's a killer robot. And, you know, at, at no point do you say, no, that's bad. Because every there's there's no clear demarcation. Every step you say, oh, I guess that's better. If you make weapons that kill less innocent people, 
that's that's good. And so you can't actually ever say with nuclear weapons it was binary. This is atomic and this isn't. I will say though to your to your point, Craig, that um, I have found hosting this show that we only when when the Manhattan Project was underway, people in that project we know were very introspective about what they were doing. And they talked about it and they, they talked about the implications of it for good and evil. And I do find the same thing in the AI world. The people I have on my show are all keenly aware that what they're building, like all technology, can be used for good or ill. And they know how it can be misused, how it can destroy privacy and all of that. So at least we're That's not healthy. blindly charging forward. We are um, at least uh, being contemplative as we build these things. I don't know in the end if that is enough, but um, we aren't blithe to the It risks. is necessary. Mm-hmm. It may not be sufficient. Right. It's That's absolutely necessary. Well put. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> so we are just about out of time. And as we sort of expected when we started this, this is probably a many-part series. And we ranged over a lot of things today. And we'll use some of this to focus parts two and beyond. And for, for, for example, I really want to talk about robotics specifically in a subsequent episode. Yeah, there are five bullets there. We got halfway through number one. <laughs> All right. That's right. Go team. Well, okay, maybe it's a 10-part series. Yeah, yeah. And but, then there's a separate one flight, on ethics entirely. CRISPR. Oh, oh, we need to do spaceflight. Absolutely. Yeah, so space for, the, for the listeners, I have on the screen a set of topics to cover today. And Byron's right. We got halfway through the first one. So, <laughs> so you can expect this series to continue. But I do want to allow everybody to wrap up with one sort of final thought. And then, of course, we'll uh, we'll be back at you again real soon, I hope. But, uh, uh, Byron, you want to start? I'd love to. I mean, um, we are a skittish species. We come by it honestly. Somebody said, you know, it's better if you, back in the day, if you saw a rock and thought it was a bear and you ran off, than if you saw a bear and said, ah, it's just a rock and stayed put. <laughs> so we're skittish and we're nervous and, 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 we, and, and it has served us well. You know, there was a part, a point in time where there were just a thousand or so breeding pairs of humans left. That was it. We were an endangered species and we made it to here. And so our inclination is to always look at these technologies nervously. And I just think that's great. But we should always be mindful that 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 is, you know, kind of in us. And 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 maybe maybe it's just a rock. It's not a bear. It's just a rock. And it's going to be okay. Well, I'll put a, an astronomical perspective on it. There, there's nothing guarantees that death in taxes, and I'm not so sure about death anymore, <laughs> which is something we could talk about. But on an astronomical timescale, I will say this with great definite confidence. A million years from now, there will be, there will be no homo sapiens. And so how do we get from here to there in a healthy way? There are not going to be any homo sapiens a million years from now. Well, that well, was a... Big final that point was, there. That was... <laughs> you don't believe there'll be any homo sapiens? Well, it'll either be something else or extinct. Something else or extinct. There well, were no homo sapiens a million years ago. We clearly have to have a part two to explore I, that yes. question. But uh, we'll go with Barbara's well, final point. Well, and here. I think while I'm going to go home and uh, think about whether I really believe that I'm a machine or... Um, and, and what the nature of the soul is if it exists... Um, which I think are fascinating things to contemplate. Um, I I think the thing, the thing that still plagues me is this issue of, of ethics and the ethical concerns um, around technological advancement and all of the implications for, 
for individual humans as well as humanity. And I don't think that we have found, I mean, we haven't found a good way to regulate bad people over the course of thousands of years. Bad people exist. They do bad things. They use whatever tools they can in order to do bad things and to, to further their own cause, some of which is just doing bad things. But I think they're, you know, how do we, how do we institute, um, a set of ethics that are universally accepted and recognized in the same way that we have with, say, you know, nuclear weapons um, around technology um, is, is sort of one of those things that sort of weighs heavily on me um, on a regular basis. Well, those are three great final points, and I'm not going to try to uh, add to that. I'm just going to thank everybody for great discussion today. This was wonderful. It was thought-provoking. I can't wait to have part two of this. I promise not to have a list that's 10 times longer than we can get through in one episode, and we'll focus on specific topics in part two and beyond. But I just wanted to thank everybody for being part of this. I had a lot of fun today. Thank you. It was great being here. It was great being here, and just try to keep us focused. <laughs> just try. <laughs> Thanks, all, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.